It's episode 408, and today I'm joined by Nick Kumalasos. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back. I am absolutely so excited for you to hear this interview today. We are on episode 408, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is my favorite ever episode I've recorded of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Nick Kumalosos. I've probably butchered his surname a little bit. It's Greek descendancy. But Nick is a 12-year U.S. Marine veteran with five deployments overseas. He's the founder of John Johnny Slicks. He's the founder of the Raider Project. And he is the host of the Always Forward podcast. The premise of today's conversation, and man, I've got so much out of it. You know if you listen to the podcast frequently that I journal almost every day. I've taken so much of what was talked about in today's podcast and I've integrated it into my everyday life. We talk about lessons from his 12 years as a U.S. Marine. What tangible lessons can he take from all that time, break it down, and disseminate those and condense those to make them tangible teachings that can improve our lives? It's absolutely fire road, man. The show notes for today's episode to all Nick's various endeavors, including his you know, Instagram account with over 100,000 followers, his YouTube channel with over 250,000 followers, it's all contained on roadmancycling.com forward slash episodes forward slash Nick. Or if you just go to roadmancycling.com forward slash episodes, you'll see the link to it there on the main page. Well worth checking out because I'm going to populate it with access to all Nick's stuff that he talks about in today's show. Roadman, I'm not going to push this one off any further. It's an absolute cracker. Share this with who needs to hear this because it has potential to uplift and inspire. Roadman, welcome to the Roadman podcast, Nick Kumalasos. Excellent, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Uh, do you know what I love about this? We booked this chat, like, I'm going to say two months ago. There wasn't one reminder text, one reminder email with absolute military precision you just showed up that's the way I, I live i live my life like you know the team booked the thing and i was like i check it last night um and we can talk about that but like i i check my calendar at night the night before what i have my day my day to, to kind of mentally prep for the next day and then in the morning i recheck make sure nothing's changed and then i just execute all day long I have a buddy and I went riding with him I, I ride with him quite a bit but he's the opposite to you he's the flakiest man in the world so i'll text him on a friday night and i'll say okay we riding tomorrow morning and he'd be like yeah yeah let's ride tomorrow morning and then i'll be in the cafe like cycling you typically meet at a cafe so i'll be in yeah, the yeah. cafe at like 9 30 waiting for him i'll text him and go like what's going on you're like 15 minutes late already and he'd be like oh i didn't i didn't know we're still going you didn't confirm this morning and i was like that's not a thing you don't need to confirm that like what <laughs> you can you text me if there's something changing like you're roughly my vintage as well do you remember like if you were going out on a like a date or something back in the day back before mobile phones like you were standing under the clock at three o'clock and at like five to three you were filled with hope and at five past three you were just filled with fear <laughs> like, this isn't happening no show <laughs> Uh, those, were, those were some good days though i i, I reminisce I'm, I'm very fortunate that i i was born and grew up in a, in a time before the internet and before social media and phones and texting and um i mean what a what a i mean I, sometimes i'm like man if i could just get in a in a uh a time traveling device and go back just to like hang out in the 80s for you know a week how awesome that would be because kids don't get it like when you were on the bus like you were on the bus, like you weren't on the bus, but also on Instagram, like you were on oh. the bus. And maybe if you were super bored, you read like the back of the bus ticket, like 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, you're much more present in your environment. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I want to chat about uh, military. It's something we right. don't have much exposure to in Ireland. And well, uh, uh, you do on a very 
very sad and dangerous side <laughs> yeah yeah we we got yeah. some we got some pretty uh dark history uh in yeah. you know more guerrilla stuff but from large-scale military conflicts and especially that organizational structure of training people up to be soldiers yeah. the only version we get is the romantic hollywood version of it and like oh what is Oh, I'm a, and I'm asking this question as well because it'll make sense after. Some of our listeners are probably going, well, like, why does he care so much about what it takes to be a Marine? So that's what I want to dig into. Like, what does it take to be a Marine? Is it a special type of human? Um, I definitely think that, you know, it, it is a special type of individual that wants to. I mean, you got to understand, like, it's you're taking somebody who's 17, 18 years old and out of all military branches in, in the military and, and i'm speaking strictly at the beginning level right not like i'm not talking about special operations or something that happens later down the road but at the entry level uh when you go to the first training course basic training recruit training whatever you want to call it um the marine corps is the most intense um difficult longest process to, to enter the military service in the u.s um and they don't there, there's no there's no hiding that they straight up tell you this is gonna suck it's gonna be hard um it's long uh we're gonna treat you like complete crap um do you want to sign up and 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 there's a certain certain kid that's like yes let's do it that's me <laughs> it's like if i walked up and be like hey i'm gonna kick you in the balls and you're gonna thank me for it and you're gonna be super excited that i did it but are, Essentially the same thing. are they dropping the bar on what it takes to even get into it now? Because we talked about that generational shift from like 80s, 90s to now. Like, just look no. around. People are fat. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, yes and no. Um, there are some changes as far as when it comes to, you know, the requirements to come in on physical. And there's a lot of complaints about that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's honestly, if you look at it from say the 70, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it's actually much more difficult to get in now. I mean, you have to have, you know, perfect record. You can't have any sort of um, uh, criminal activity, drug activity, tattoos. I mean, like the tattoo policy is so strict now. Um, these, If you have tattoos on your arms, there's a good chance that you might not be able to get in at all. What's the rationale for uh, that? Uh, that's a great question, man. I don't know. Uh, honestly, I think that it's an image thing. I think that they are so concerned about their precious Marine Corps image that they, that they, they don't want people that look like me anymore. You know what I mean? Um, unfortunately that's, that it's a, it's a sad thing because those things have nothing to do. Plus the culture that we're currently living in. I mean, and one day, you know, in 20 years, tattoos might be the thing of the past and you might not see them anymore. Um, I'm seeing this with cycling as well, and you know I'm recording this in Dublin, Ireland, but we've a similar culture to you. We've been totally westernized with you know McDonald's, Starbucks, Uber Eats dropping yeah. stuff off at your door. You know people are getting fat, people are lazy, lazy in their mental thought processes and their spirituality and their self-discipline as yeah. well as their physical health. But when I, I look at bike racers and kids are like, what does it take to be a bike racer? The standard hasn't changed just because we've got softer as a culture. There's other countries out there that haven't got softer as a culture. There's other countries. Yeah, so, so, so exactly. So on that, it is become, it has become more difficult to find the right candidate to join. Is it because, because of that? And I know for cycling, and it's true of all sports, that your best athletes are coming from working class areas because they mm -hmm. still play in the streets. They're still physically active. They're not overindulging. Is that the same for the military? I would say, yeah, I'd say heavily uh, sports backgrounds. So the kids that grow up playing soccer, playing uh, football, um, lacrosse, swimming, things like that, those are, the, those are the, the, the youth that are staying fit at, at some level. Um, that have it an easier time and more and more um, they're more qualified to come in versus the, and this is what happens. So I have a business part of the Gogi that you've seen. Um, that's one of the veins that we do is, you know, we actually got started when I first started doing any sort of fitness work. The fitness was focused around military prep because that's what the large uh, portion of my audience was at the time. And they were asking and and, and what happens is 
what happens is, you know, you get this kid who is been playing, I don't know, Rainbow Six or whatever, you know, Call of Duty or whatever the video <laughs> game is at the, at the time. Um, and I don't even know if those are right. But, uh, you know, they play it for eight years growing up and all of a sudden they turn 18 or 17. And they're like, I want to do that for real. But it's not a fucking video game, man. It's 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 real life. Like you have to actually physically do these things, and it's 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 hard, and it's dangerous. So you go from sitting on the couch playing video games for you know your whole life to all of a sudden these kids are 17, 18 years old, and they and they can't even pass the bare minimum standards. So we developed training, and we get a lot of heat for it. They're like, oh, you shouldn't have to do this. You're just selling. You're just like trying to take money from kids or whatever it's like but then again the recruiters and the drill instructors are like no man it's a freaking problem so yes these like we've had recruiters buy our training manuals to help them get kids in shape and lose weight um so that was that was really this the start of that and that's really like you're talking about the the, the you know the epidemic of obesity in, in western culture um you know due to being glued to a phone or being glued to, you know, video games, um, it is, is, it really has hit, uh, that community hard because there's just, you know, now you show up like you're not even qualified physically. You can't even do a single pull up. You can't pull your body weight up over a bar. Um, you can't run, you know, a mile and, and I don't even know what the time is. I think it's like 10 or 11 minutes, something very long. <laughs> um, they can't, they That's can't a fast walk. It. Yeah. Right. And, and they can't do it. And, uh, anyway, so that's one of the reasons that's, that's how we got into the, the fitness game initially was prepping young men, you know, getting them re really rehabilitating them so that they can actually serve. Cause that's the, that they have a passion. They're like, Hey man, I really want to serve my, my country. And that's an honorable thing. Um, I, I really want to do this thing. I want to, you know, I want to aspire to something better than I am. Um, but they've been they've been set up for failure their whole life. And honestly, when it comes down to it, it all it goes back down to the parents. You know, it, it really does. It, it goes back to the parents and uh, and, and their failures. Uh, what drew you into the military? Uh, so. I I don't know how much, you know, my background, but I was a two time convicted felon by the age of 13 years old um, as an adult. And then I, I got clean from that. I, I kind of say I had my life kind of figured out by 14, 15. Really, <laughs> honestly, I mean, I was like off, not doing drugs, not drinking, um, working really, really hard, um, not getting in trouble, stopped hanging out with the wrong people, had some really good mentors and people in my life at the time. And uh, that were really invested in me, like becoming a good person and, 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 a, and a, a great citizen. And so moved out of my house. I think I was like 16 years old. I had finished the 10th grade in high school. And I for the summer, I was working two jobs. And uh, it's a long story to get there. But I was working two jobs. I was a, a uh, there's, there's a place in Panama City Beach, Florida called the Bay Point Marriott. Anybody listening that knows the area is gonna be like, Oh, yeah, it's a it's a big resort golf. They do a billfish tournament there. It's a big deal. And um, anyway, so from 6 a.m. to 2, I was working as an audiovisual tech. Now we're talking mid to late 90s, I think. And I was getting paid as a 16-year-old $15 an hour. Nice. That's good um, money. In the 90s yeah. for a 16-year-old? Absolutely. So, I had a job um, so then that I got I had a job then that I got paid 60 euro for a week as a car mechanic. And I was working like right? 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. <laughs> right? So like I'm 16 years old doing this. I'm like wearing, you know, basically like business, you know, you know, business attire setting up, you know, for conference centers and, you know, audio visual stuff, you know, PowerPoint stuff and, and lights and audio equipment um, for their conferences. Anyway, so did that from six to two, had a 30 minute break, went and had lunch in the cafeteria. And then at 2.30 to 10 p.m., I was a I was a bellman at the resort. So I did that in the morning and then I did that in the night. Man, I was making like I mean, anywhere from a thousand to sometimes four thousand a week <laughs> cash. There's no one making that at so that age. The end of the summer. Yeah, the end of the summer. Um, and I remember I'd have these fat stacks of cash that I would just go to because you know I just go deposit in the bank, like in the like you know remember like you put your ATM card <laughs> in and like just feed the money in um, every night. 
uh, when I got off work. So I, uh, anyways, so I, I hit, anyways, going back to school, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I'm going to lose so much money going to the 11th grade. Like I'm already kind of on my own, you know, I was living out on the beach, had a, had a house on the beach and I'm, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to lose all this revenue to go to, to go to school, which I hated. I was a CD student, you know what I mean? I just absolutely hated school. And it just, to me, there was no, they weren't selling it to me. Like they weren't like, how, what am I getting out of going to this, going to this thing eight hours a day? I'm losing a ton of money. You're not really teaching me anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I'm like standing in line going from one class to the next. And it's just like autofill form stuff. Um, so even back then I just wasn't on board with like the regular learning system and it, and it didn't work for me. Like I had to be hands-on. I, I need to, I need to work with you. I need to do things to learn. And it was just like some, you know, old person standing at a board lecturing me. And I'm like, my brain is thinking about 47 other things. So I got to a point. So anyways, I, I dropped out of school, got my GED initially. And then I continued on for that for about another year. And it hit me like I kind of panicked. And I and, and I and I laugh and I, I tell the story like I basically hit a nuclear option. I was doing very well for myself and I was make, creating a lot, a lot of opportunities. And I realized that this could be my life for the next like however long. 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And I was like, this, this can't be it. Like, I can't be doing this thing forever. That's scary. I had a moment like that working building sites on the summer and just going, like, I'm making some bank here as a 17 year old, but I cannot do this for 20, 30, 40 years. Exactly. It was the same thing. It was just like, it, it, there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, right? I was making bank. Life was good. I had my own vehicle, my own house. You know what I mean? Like things were good. Um, but I just, I flashed forward and saw the future or saw a potential future. And I was like, I don't want my life on repeat. I, I, I so I panicked. So I nuked everything. So I, I got rid of the house, quit my jobs, <laughs> uh, moved in, moved in with my grandmother. Um, went to a recruiter this is a long story short went to a recruiter i said i'm gonna go join the military my grandfather was in the army um a friend of mine was like before that like, like hey we should go join the military together and i was like hell no this is like a year and a half before but even that sorry so to come across you nick even that bit like for to have that eq as a child some people are missing that as adults to actually make decisions rather than yeah. drift and make decisions of omission where you just drift down lanes and then you wonder how you got to a place of unhappiness. You made a fucking hard call and said, no, I'm turning yeah. this direction. Hard, 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 hard <laughs> turn. Yeah. Um, so like went from, went from making bank to minimum wage at a movie theater at night so I could go to school. Cause I went to the recruiter and anybody's heard this story that, you know, that follows me, here's the story. I went to a recruiter and they laughed me out of the office, which is, so before I quit, before I hit the nuclear option, I, I went to a recruiter and I said, Hey, I'm going to, I want to join the Marine Corps because it's the hardest thing. You know, you have the, 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 the best looking uniforms. You say it's the hardest thing and I want the hardest thing. And they laughed. They like, all right, cool, sit down. And then they ran all my background stuff. And they're like, you're a high school dropout. You've done drugs. You were in a gang. You've got felonies. You know, like yada yada yada. You're like, you're never joining the military, kid. Get out of here. And uh, and this is in the '90s before you know wartime. You know, this is the Clinton era. And they were like, oh man, we're shutting military stuff down. Um, anyways, so that was the worst thing they could ever told me was no. That was the that was the light that I needed. Like they told me, no, I couldn't do something. And I was like, all right, I'll show you. So Watch this. That was like the, you know, the stoic teachings, like the obstacle is the way. That was your yeah. signpost to go, this is the direction. That's it. I was like, this is the future. Because you, because you said no, now this is, now I'm like almost to a fault. It was like heads down, I'm grinding this direction. And it almost took me two years, but hit the nuclear option, quit all my jobs, moved in with my grandmother. Uh, went to, went to college, uh, I had to go do a semester of college. I had to get like a hundred letters of recommendation. I had to see doctors, I had to see judges, I had to see everybody to like, took me, took me two years, um, and finally got in. Um, but yeah, I was working at a movie theater as a projectionist at night making like, I don't know, four seventy five an hour or something like that. 
um, going from like thousands a week to, to, I don't know, it was like a couple hundred dollars a week. I remember getting my first check and it was like $250. And I was like, and then of course, you know, taxes and everything come out of that. And I was like, what am I going to do with this money? (laughs) This doesn't help me at all. Um, but I did it, man. I did it. And, uh, and finally got my shot. And, uh, so that was, that was really the reasons why that I, that I joined the Marine Corps was because I had a, I saw my future, a, a, a potential version of my future and just absolutely panicked. So I just hit, I hit the nuclear option and made a change. How many years did you stay in the military for? 12, 12 years. 12. Oh, that's some heavy going. And uh, yeah, from 2000, from two, I call it the fun years from 2000 to 2012. So I, jo- I joined pre nine 11 and then, uh, obviously nine 11 happened, you know, about a year and a half later. And then, um, and then it was, it was freaking game on from then on. And something that always interests me with U.S. military is this, is the calling, do you question, do you look at, you know, we're getting sidetracked a little bit off the topic, but just for my own no, no, curiosity. Great, great question. Great like, question. Do you question when someone says, oh, yeah, there's WMDs in there and it's later transported to be total bullshit? You know, you know what does that feel like? Oh, man, there's a lot of mixed emotions here, right? Because, like, uh, I do feel that service to something greater than yourself is so important. Um, do I, am I going to sit here, you know, on you, on your, you know, with your audience and say that, um, military service is the highest calling of service. No, I mean, service is service. It's something about serving others. I'll say this. Uh, do, do I think that we should have gone on Iraq? Hmm. Was Saddam an asshole? Yep. Was he horrible to his people? Yep. Um, was he really a threat to the United States? I don't know. Should we meddle in other people's foreign affairs? I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did he have WMDs? No. Uh, I'll say this. He did. You know, there was atrocities to human beings over there that, you know, or were really bad. Right. Um, but look what's happened to Iraq since we've removed him. Um, Iraq is one of those interesting countries and, 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 uh, I guess you could say tribal societies that they don't do so well leading themselves. You, it's, they're the type of people, and 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 this is, and I'm probably going to get beat up on this, but they really do sometimes <laughs> need kind of an iron fist to kind of to lead them and keep things kind of balanced and and bay at bay. Because you look at what happened when we've meddled. You know, as soon as we removed him, we we created an insurgency, and then we created an environment where ISIS could move in and. Um, and it's like, if we weren't there, then it was right for the picking. And that's exactly what happened. And it was, that was a hard thing to watch, uh, to watch ISIS roll into Fallujah, a a city that we've, that I personally fought in and, and lost, um, lost people in that area. And, uh, so that was a hard thing to stomach. Um, so Iraq, I, I, I do feel was a, was a, a fucking black eye kind of. You know what I mean? And, and I lost a lot of friends there and spent, you know, there's a, a lot of my youth there. So anyways, uh, I think so there, Afghanistan is a little bit different. It's a little bit different conversation with Afghanistan. Most people listening to the podcast won't ever have a chance to serve their country. And, but yeah. they still watch the movies. They still read the books. They still love to listen to the podcasts. And I suppose, is there, you know, not to gloss over and trivialize your 12-year military career, which I'm sure, you know, we could go for a beer and literally talk for 12 hours about some of these stories. You know, could you condense that 12 years and say, these are a handful of the lessons which I've taken from that, which are applicable to listeners now that can make tangible differences in their life? Absolutely. I think that uh, there's a couple different things. Um, if you take away all the political bullshit and keep in mind to wrap up, you know, where I stand on things, keep in mind as you advance in the military, if you so choose, right. That's one of the great things that I came from section eight housing, being poor trailer parks, um, to where now I run a multi-million dollar business, um, a couple and, uh, have, I mean, lots of opportunities given to me, um, do through hard work. Right. And, and, for somebody to come from that environment and work your way through that, um, I, I give a lot of credit to what I've what I gained in the military and gained through special operations. Um, 
to give me those opportunities. Now, don't get me wrong. I had to work hard and, and, and get them, but, uh, it was basically in a way it was, it was like a shortcut. If so, choose, it was the opportunity to better myself. Um, and I, and I'm afforded the opportunities that I have now because I did what I did now. Um, as far as lessons learned, never stray away from hard things. I love that. Um, doing hard things like, I don't know, give me what's your, what's the hardest race that you've ever been in? It's like, I, I love having these benchmark moments where I, I remember I was racing in north of toronto a couple hours north of toronto and it was early season it was april and i stayed on a hotel overlooking the start line and you know i'm coming from europe so there's a little bit of a mystique around this irish guys over here racing so i look outside the window and the snow is coming down real heavy for this early season race and i look at everyone and they're wearing it's like a 180 kilometer race so it's gonna take you know four and a half hours I'm looking out and everyone's wearing gloves. Everyone's wearing like scarves and they're wrapped up. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck these guys. So I went down like shorts and jersey on the start line. No gloves, shorts and jersey. And guys are looking at me and they're like, what the fuck is going on? I'm just like, ah, this isn't even that bad weather back home. This is a nice day back home. But but it's it's immediately like you're there to race. You know, as soon as someone sees you in shorts and jersey, you're not cruising around, you know, to make up the numbers. You're there to make a fucking impact. Yeah. And it, it changes cash. that mentality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not here to take part. I'm here to take over. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a different mentality. Uh, but I, how how easily could you have been to go? Oh, it's cold. This is not my environment. Made a million excuses and then layered up. And then what would have you done? You would have gotten hot. You would have had to slow down. You might have had to take something off. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a mentality thing. So I would say like w- through my military career went through recruit training then I, that wasn't good enough i was like i want to be a force reconnaissance marine so i had to go through selection for that you have to go through a selection and then you have to go through another selection to actually become it so there's like layers of selection process to become that and i constantly did that all the way into um went from being a force recon marine to a marine raider which is another selection process so i constantly pushed the envelope up until the day that i i got out and what what I learned later in life what transpired is is by not shying away from those hard things. Every time you do something difficult or hard and uncomfortable, you move your threshold of what you can handle in life. So it's like, this is your limit. Well, I just moved it to a little bit more. And then I found another one. I'm like, oh, I've never done anything hard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move it again. And I'm going to move it again. And it, it makes you anti-fragile. It makes you so resilient, resilient at life. When things happen in your life, you're like, it's a hard thing. No big deal. I've done lots of hard things. I'll get through this one too. And then another one. And then another one. I love that because the growth is on the edges. And no one understands right. that because they don't explore the edges. And that's where the only place there's growth when you try and operate in the edges and you push the edges. But why I'm really jealous of you getting to do the military combat. You know, I love the idea of service to a higher power. But back to my story of freezing cold that day, you know, I couldn't, bottles were frozen into the cages, couldn't feel my hands, couldn't, the brakes wouldn't work, you know, fingers wouldn't work. It, it was a bad fucking day all around. But now I've, I've raced in plenty of bad days since, but I have that benchmarked and going, oh, it's not as bad as that day. And that's right. what I'm jealous about with the military. Like if you have a shit day, it, like in everyday suburban life now, I'm sure it's like, oh, well, it's not as bad as that day in Fallujah. <laughs> we make a joke. We make a joke all the time that, you know, like I just got done off a uh, six day motorcycle trip with Indian motorcycles. We went from Char- Charleston, South Carolina to uh, the Key West, the Keys. So Key West. It was supposed to be like 750 and be through weather and through everything. It ended up being almost 1500 miles that it, it took us a week to do. Um and even when it got really shitty on the weather and like what we were doing on, on, on a motorcycle, I was like, well, I was laughing with the guys because I rode motorcycles in Afghanistan and, and we would get shot at on motorcycles. <laughs> and I, I would laugh. And laugh. I'm like, well, am I getting shot at? No one's trying to kill me, really. You know what I mean? It's just, just the weather that we're having to deal with in a timeline. Um, so it, it ain't that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? So is that your main takeaway from your military days is just that constantly doing hard things in your life that so so two things so that one and then the other one will be the other one is um 
operational planning. So, uh, and this, this, we could talk about for this for four hours, but basically and lo the long and short of it is people, a lot of times want to achieve something. Um, so, but, and I think my, my wife is quoting somebody or she says it all the time, but a goal without a plan is just a wish. So the, one of the biggest things that I've learned at the, you know, being kind of the highest levels of special operations and, and, and doing operational planning is that, um, you, you create your end state, what your goal is, what the objective is, and then you use a phase line approach to back plan to where you're currently at. I love that. So, so, you know, you know, for instance, like racing or losing weight, it's like, okay, I need to hit a certain mile time. Um, and I'm not there yet. So what I need is by, if I have three months to a race in my training, I need to be able to hit um, I'm going to back plan, you know, to where I'm at today. And then it's like, okay, so week one, and two, I'm, my mile times need to be this, you know, I'm doing interval training. So, uh, I'm breaking those mile times into quarters. And I, as long as I hit this quarter, then rest and then hit the quarter again at the right time for that mile time, then I'm, I'm incrementally. And then by this month, I need to be here. And then by the second month, I need to be here. And then that way by the race time, you know, that once you've hit your deload week and everything, you know, you're hitting your, 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 uh, what's it called your uh like peak performance set. i don't yeah. know yeah yeah you're well you're uh whatever it is that you know your sets of 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 miles um and same thing with like losing weight like 30 30 pounds in 90 days sounds sounds you know a lot but you break that into a month that's 10 pounds a month you break that into a week it's 2.5 you break that into a day and it's like point something right 0.33 or 0.4 or something like that. So it's like, oh, that's not that bad. I can actually, I can, that I can achieve. You know what I mean? Uh, but 30 pounds or a, a certain amount of miles might sound crazy up front. But once you break it down and, and create a plan, it's like, oh, okay, this is achievable. I just need to execute every single day and stick to my plan and create phase lines. So that was another one. And then you can, you can take that concept, apply it to business, apply it to personal, apply it to relationships, apply it to money, apply it to physical stuff, training. It doesn't matter, but that concept can, can really be applied to anything. So I love that. And a lot of listeners to the podcast, they operate in, in that world. They operate in a corporate world where they're so used to having KPIs, key performance indicators. Am I on track right. for this target? But then when they come back into my world in cycling and I'm saying to them, you know, whether it's, it's weight loss or whether it's a power target for, you know, the f actual force they can put on the pedals, because we measure the force you can put through the pedals uh, using something called strain gauges. Uh, so I'll easily break it back and use the same sort of rationale that you're using. Okay, it's 90 days. Here's where we need to be in one month. Here's where we need to be in one week. And here's what we need to do right now. But what I'm interested to know from the military is when you take an uncertain target. So say my, for instance, if I want to say, I'm trying to think of a like a civilian application. So if I want to say, oh, now I want to have the biggest sports podcast in the world. It's, right. a, it's a very uncertain pathway to that. So, and I'm sure war is like this, that it's a very, you know, you don't know what's beyond that hill line. How do you make that operational plan? Uh, I think it's, it's the exact same way. It's it's like, okay, wh who's doing what? Who? Look at what everybody else is doing. Um, be a slightly of a copycat. If that, I mean, one of the biggest hacks for being successful is what is working in the world? Who is the best at what they do? And how are they doing it? Like people say, well, you're just copying. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm copying success. If if someone is super successful, how are they doing what they're doing? How did they get there? And can I utilize that as a roadmap? I don't need to create a. I don't need to create a new map. It's or if it's already been done, then I'm going to copy it. Guess what? Uh, I I work with. Uh, I don't work with, but I support. Uh, we have a. It's an app. It's called the Apogee Academy. It's an alternative school for young men and, and women. Um, it's a different kind of learning style. It's, it, it's ran by a guy named Matt Bardew. And um, he has 11, 11 rules uh, for his family. And one of those rules is be a copycat. And uh, he, anyways, on my podcast, he breaks that whole he breaks that whole thing down and explains why he chose that. Um, but it really is. It's like it, what is working out there 
and, and copy that for your own, your own blueprint. Um, so for instance, you want to be the number one sports podcast. What does it take? Who do you need to have? How much consistency do you need? What, what's the length of the podcast? What are the topics? And then, you know, if you look at like number one podcast in the world, or at least in the U S is, is Joe Rogan, right? How did he get to where he was getting? Well, he, 15 years ago, he started having conversations and he never stopped. Yep. He kept on having interesting conversations for 15 years. But and I, now he's the number one. But isn't that's brilliant because it's like taken, it's, you know, success leaves clues. I love that saying because we can follow those clues. Yep. But it's also acting with the best information we have now. But as soon as you get new information, now you're changing your action and you're changing I, your course. Never be stuck to an idea. Like so many people get just absolutely like, well, this is the way I do it. I've always done it. And they and, and we all hate change, right? Everybody to some level hates change until you get to a point probably like me to where like you crave change and you're like, yes, I'm, you know, something's going to change. Yes. But then you have your team who kind of fights you on it. And you're like, listen, change is good. Trust me. I've never started you wrong. We're going to change. <laughs> um, but that's where that growth happens. Right. And it's just like you were talking about it's on the edges that's where the growth happens so like to, to build muscle what do you have to do you have to actually break muscle down and then refeed that muscle and then it will build muscle um it's the same thing in life a podcast you can apply it to anything you have to create that pain and push those limits because that's where that grows so anyways that's that's so, the two, the two things i think we're living in a world which is a lot of I, I preach to my listeners and I preach to my clients all the time to control your controllables, create some level of ritual in your day. You know, your day throws up at you a lot of uncertainty, but there's things you know you can't control. You can get up one hour early and you can control a morning routine. Your last hour before bed is quite controllable. But how do you remain calm and execute on your mission, whether that's mission is to be a present, a good father, or that mission is to get in the shape of your life and get your session done today. How do you execute in a mission when chaos okay. springs up? I, I love it. I love it. Um, so first of all, this is something that we tell our, our one-on-one clients. Um, one of the first conversations that we have is, is we go, okay, tell me your top four priorities in life. And they're usually like, you know, my family, my health, uh, you know, you know, our money, I don't know, you know, something like that. Um, and then growth or something like, you know, so I go, okay, cool. So what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed and tell me everything that you do within 15 minute increments? And then we analyze their day. And I'm like, well, you tell me your top four priorities, but then I look at your routine and none of those align with what your priorities are. Yeah. So are they your priorities? It's always so you, your life. You look at somebody's day, and this is why I don't. Everyone's like to me, why don't you practice law? And you know, we could get into it in a different conversation, like my priorities in life. But it's like health, family, spirituality, you know, growth and right. learning, and financial. Financial is one of a number of priorities. And when I audit my day, right. it makes no sense for me to spend seventy hours a week working on one of my five priorities. It doesn't leave any time for the other ones. Right. Exactly. So that would be the first thing is like, okay, let me analyze that. And I go, and then I, and then we start trimming the fat, right? We start building their routine and building their life that meets their priorities. Um, and for, for initially that might mean making less money. Um, it might mean, you know, not spending four freaking hours on Netflix a night. It might, you know what I mean? Like there's so much fat in, in a person's day and, and, and they don't really realize what it takes to be successful on certain things. Like we're the successful people are, are, are borderline obsessed with that thing, right? Moving the needle, being uncomfortable, put, you know, cha changing your body, um, having a better relationship with your wife. All of this takes effort, a extreme amount of effort. There's no, there's nothing that goes on autopilot. Like there's nothing, everything takes energy and time and we only have so much of it. So where are we putting it? So if you want to be successful at a thing, you have to analyze what your priorities are and then look at your routine and do those do those meet each other are you serving are you serving your routine or is your routine serving you yeah it's that move from uh, reactive to purposeful and mindful absolutely 
And, and, and another thing that we can talk about is, and this kind of goes all in line with it, right? Um, an unhappy person typically is that pleasure-seeking person. He's They're seeking um, something to make them feel good, right? Um, whatever it may be. And it could be a lot of different things, and we don't have to get into it. But, um, but the problem with seeking happiness, which is a, a big gripe in America right now, like it's been that way and it's, it's getting worse. But it's like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a generation of people that are like, that, that basically say, if it doesn't make me feel good, I shouldn't have to do it. If it doesn't make me happy, I shouldn't have to do it. Um, but the problem with happiness or seeking happiness or pleasure is that it is a bottomless sinkhole. It is a dark black hole that you'll never fill. And you can look at that with people that are on drugs and alcohol, um, addicted to pornography, um, women uh, addicted to, to women um, or women addicted to men. And that sort of thing is it's just it's something that they have to it's like a drug that they have to constantly fill. But it, anybody that you know that is like that, do they ever go, I've had enough, I'm, fill, I'm full? Does an alcoholic said ever say I've had enough alcohol? No, it's never enough um, because they're never going to fill that void. But when you switch from that to a purpose driven life, you have a mission and you have a purpose. All of a sudden you are fulfilled. Your heart, your soul is fulfilled and you're happy. It's so different to my image I had when I was growing up. I was always just the idea of stuck in traffic queue because nine to five, I just I couldn't think of anything worse for my whole life. And I always thought as an adult, having the freedom to do whatever I want all day long makes you happy. And now as an adult, I realize it's that discipline that gives you the freedom. And it's such a paradox. Right. It is. It is. Um, but it, it's funny that you say that because so many people, I mean, you got to look, you got to look at it. You know, it's, not that it's not i don't want to i don't want to put the blame on people right because at the end of the day we are responsible for everything in our lives and right or wrong and all of our decisions i mean um i'm, I'm a huge believer in extreme accountability um so but from a society uh and across the board you know now you know due to globalization it's kind of everywhere like we are taught to be good little sheep we're taught to you know wake up go to school you know, from this time to this time, stand in the lane, and then you get us good. You get out of you know high school, you go to college, and then you meet your significant other. You have you know two two point five kids. You get a career that you're going to work at for forty years, and then you commute back and forth nine to five. Um, you invest in your retirement plan, and blah 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 blah, until you you know either make it or you put a shotgun in your mouth and blow your brains out. Um, so you're you know pay your taxes, do your job you know, commit to, you know, sitting in a cubicle or doing this thing for whatever, however many years, um, that's the way life is supposed to be. It's like, that sounds, it's shocking. Like what's the Helen Keller quote? Life is a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. Right. And, and when I picture what we've created as, as our society and how it was created, all I see is just everyone is just a cog connected to another cog and it's all just turning. Um, but it's so purposefully created like if you trace the origins of modern entertainment back they're back to roman times and they came up with the idea of the coliseum and gladiators fighting to the death for entertainment because it was a politically very shaky time right then and they needed to distract the populace the masses from critical thinking from analysis of what's going on like the modern manifestation yeah. of that it's netflix it's you know people are talking yeah. about the kardashians they're not talking about real shit and when they do, I mean, you can look at what's happening in Ukraine and compared to what's happening in America, it is it's straight switch from the pandemic, right? Don't look at that anymore. That's all of a sudden disappeared. And now it's like, let's talk about problems that are happening 5,000 miles away. Like, look at this, look at this, support this, support this, support this. Um, meanwhile, you're not, you know, looking at what's actually going on in your front door. Well, like we have um, some, we have some shocking stuff going on here at the moment, and it's like I haven't heard the media or anyone talking about it. But we ha we've taken in Ukrainian refugees, which I think is great. You know, people coming into people's houses, and there's been a big campaign to get people to come into your houses, and people are sharing spare rooms. 
brilliant. That's all positive. But we have another group of people who are displaced refugees from around the world. And they're in what only can be described as fucking concentration camps for the last decade. It's called direct provision. Women are provided sanitary products. A lot of them aren't given enough sanitary products to last them the week. They're not allowed work. They're not allowed to leave these camps. Nobody's taken them into their houses. And it's politically just no one mentions it because they have a different color skin. And it's fucking criminal. Doesn't it doesn't meet that agenda, right? It's not part of it's not part of that, you know, the, the bigger plan. So that so don't look at that. We're not going to use that as a distraction. We're just going to be real quiet about that. And, and that's what and that's what I feel like people need to like wake up. And it's like, listen, you get you get a start date and you get an end date for our life. In between, that's on you. How do you want to live it? How do you do you want to be do you want to just be a cog in the wheel and, and, and let that be your life? Or do you want it to be your life, your adventure for better or worse? And that, and I'm and I mean that like if you do something and you go out on there and like you went on that race, if you would have froze up and fell down and hurt yourself or your bright, you know, crashed because your bikes were frozen. Guess guess whose fault that is? No one's but yours. So you have everything to gain and everything to lose. And for better or worse, it's your freaking fault. So it comes down to the same thing. What you allow in your brain, the space in between your ears um, is on you. If you allow that, those distractions and, and all that stuff that's going on in the world to affect you at some level, well, it's, it's, all, it's your fault. I heard this story and I love it. It's such a perfect analogy for our lives. So our lives right now, all of us, we're walking through this forest and it's winding our way through the forest. And people are obliviously walking through the forest thinking the forest just kind of continues and winds forever with, you know, beautiful things to smell, bunny rabbits to look at. But at the at the end of the trail, around one of the corners, there's a cliff and you're going to die. You're going to walk off that cliff and you're going to die. Now, if you knew that at the very beginning of the trail... How does that change how you walk along that trail? How does that change how you interact with the people you meet on the trail, with the legacy you leave behind on the trail, with the, the smells? How do you savor those? Because we're not getting out alive. That's brilliant. I'm going to steal that from you. That's that's awesome <laughs> because that's 100% right. Because if so many people are just racing to the finish line, right, and the finish line is the end. Yeah, you're racing <laughs> off the cliff. So, exactly right. Like, yeah. Right. So, so like you know, you're walking that trail. I guarantee, if you could have the foresight, or if you could rewind and you knew that, how much more would you like stop and look around and enjoy your day and enjoy the people that you meet and the animals that you see? And you would be like this. You would just make the whole journey the best day ever. Yeah. Nick, I, I can literally chat to you all night, but I want to finish up on this one because I'm just yeah. I, I'm fascinated with how you've done this in many respects. So one of the earliest pieces of advice I remember getting off my mom, uh, it's burnt in my head. She always say to me, don't spend too much time with unhappy or unlucky people. And it, it's such a great piece of advice that just rings true time and time again for me. I wonder how you build teams in the military teams that have your back and how you've taken that you know i'm gonna link up nick is like serial entrepreneur seven businesses or have you got more at the moment oh that was back in the day so we we killed i can talk a whole other podcast about that that was the on-ramp of my entrepreneur career and then and then we and then we kind of sold we sold a bunch of businesses and closed some down um once things started to kind of grow and uh so I had to, I call it we we call it killing our darlings. Sometimes you have to kill your darlings to to invest time and resources into the things that matter. Um, but, but yeah, I uh, you know you gotta look at the selection process, right? The selection process that people go through, you really are picking the best of the best of the best. But that means that you also have to feed them. The best people need to be to be led, and they need to be fed. And what I mean by fed is fed with opportunity. Fed with opportunity of growth, fed with knowledge, fed with, you know, uh, leadership. Um, so they require a lot. Um, so when you, when I started reaching out to people, when I started doing the entrepreneur thing, I didn't fully take that concept and put it into my business. Um, but once we started to grow, I started to see, I started to see a different, um, 
a different way of doing things and, and utilizing personalities and putting people in their strengths. And, and one of the things in the conventional military is like, well, you need to be more, you need to be well-rounded. So we're going to put you in your, in a place that you don't, you aren't really good at so that you learn that and you become good at that too. Well, I, I, we don't do that. I want people to be killers. I want people to be absolutely crushed what they're good at. So if you're a great salesman, I'm going to put you in that, that, that position. If you're a super, um, you know, C type personality, quality control. Well, that's where I'm going to put you in. I'm going to put you in that position. I'm going to put you in a customer service position. I'm going to put you somewhere where you're counting inventory. So I'm going to find, and what happens with those people is if you look at their personality and you look at who they are as a person, how their brain works, and you put them in that position, they skyrocket. They absolutely skyrocket. And are you so personality really, testing for that, or is this instinct? Absolutely. Yeah, we we utilize uh, we utilize the disc profile, and when I started using utilizing that, man, I mean, I could just go, I could talk to somebody and be like, "This is the position for you." So when I, and when we're in a hiring process, I look at that and I go, "I don't even I don't even say we need to hire a customer service person or whatever." I say we need to hire this personality. So then we screen for that personality and be like, you're a good fit. And you know what happens? They they shine. Every single time we get it right, they shine. Nick, that's absolutely class. Thank you for joining me on the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Roadman, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm asked all the time how listeners can support the podcast. Well, there's a number of ways you can support the podcast. As I mentioned at the outset, Patreon is an easy way to support it. But if you don't feel like subscribing on Patreon or you can't afford to subscribe on Patreon, a really easy way to support the podcast is simply sharing it with a friend. Take the episode link and sharing it into WhatsApp groups, into club Facebook groups, and just helping to spread the roadman word you can follow me and you can find me over on instagram our handle on instagram it's roadman.cycling or we have a new tiktok account where we're taking extracts from the podcast and posting them over there on roadman cycling podcast is the handle there really for all things roadman cycling the mission control is our main website which is newly launched and that's on roadmancycling.com you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. They make such a huge difference. Or if you're not on Apple, you can leave the review anywhere where you listen to the podcast. Roadmen, have a great day and ride safe.